Welcome to Fix Your Focus, Let's Chat with Saida, where we have weekly conversations centered around mental health, self-empowerment, or relationships that provide growth, healing, and knowledge around the transitional periods that women go through in life. I'm your host, Saida Spencer Artis, a licensed marriage and family therapist and owner of Focus Therapy Clinic in Birmingham, Michigan. It is my mission to provide a place for women to listen, learn, and laugh while constantly evolving. I hope you enjoy listening to the show. And please remember, this show is not meant to be a substitute for working with a licensed mental health professional. You are listening to Fix Your Focus, Let's Chat with Saida. Um, to thank you so much for joining. Today, we are joined by Dr. Bianca Curtis. Um, Dr. Bianca is affectionately known as Dr. B. Uh, She was born and raised in Jackson, Mississippi um, by her parents, along with her three three brothers, excuse me. Dr. B obtained her Bachelor's of Arts degree in psychology from Spelman and her Master's of Arts and Doctorate of Philosophy degrees in clinical psychology from the University of Mississippi. Additionally, she completed her pre-doctoral internship in health psychology at the University of Florida in 2016 and a two-year residency in rehabilitation psychology at a veterans hospital. Over the years, she has served as an ad hoc and guest reviewer for psych- I'm sorry, for scholarly journals and presented on topics in health and rehabilitation psychology. In her free time, she enjoys spending her time outdoors with her two dogs and friends. Uh, So thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. B. Thank you for having me. You have loads and loads of experience. I love it, all of this info to bring. I was just listening and I was like, wow, that's me, huh? One day when I'm done with this doctor that I'm over here trying to do, I'm an, I hope mine reads the exact same, okay? I'm sure it will. <laughs> um, so our topic today is um, we're talking about mental health and how mental health impacts our community, especially um, the African-American community. Um, so some of the questions um, that we just want to talk about, especially in the time frame that we're dealing with right now. Um, how do you think, Dr. B, that over time, mental health has affected women within the African-American community? Um, honestly, I think that it's affected us um, the same as it does now. It's just that now we're hiding it less and less. And so, you know, there's this idea that we have to be super women. And so there's a superwoman complex that has been embedded in us for many, many decades. And now, um, thanks to social media and different outlets, we're hearing more and more about the difficulties people are having. Okay. What do you think is still like the, the barrier, some common barriers? Um, some common barriers. So, you know, thinking, you know, oftentimes you hear, oh, well, African-Americans don't go to therapy. Um, the perception that if you go to therapy, you're being weak. 
Mm. Um, in terms of a barrier for all in our community, perhaps financially, that's a barrier to going to um, seek mental health. And I think a, a big one, um, not that they're not all big, but it's available resources. Oftentimes you don't find that match. And so like I tell all of my clients that, you know, I may not be the right psychologist for you, let me know if I'm not, I'll help you find someone who is. It's really about finding the right person. And so a lot of times if we're already apprehensive about seeking therapy, we may meet with a therapist and they're not the right fit and then just stop looking. And so that can be something that's, that's huge. And then um, lack of family support. You know, the first thing that may be said is, oh, well, take your problems to the Lord or take it to the altar. You know, I think that, um, so you mentioned awesome good ones, like right and off some of the ones that we have probably heard. Uh, one of the ones that you mentioned in regards to finding the right fit. Mm -hmm. So I always phrase it kind of like, you know, we may go to a doctor, we may go to a dentist and it doesn't work. But that doesn't mean you give up because those things are still vital to your health. And mental health is vital to your health. That is a piece, a large piece of your self-care. Uh, and so it's important that if it doesn't work or there isn't a vibe or you don't like it, don't give up. Just go to the next person and find somebody else. Um, the other piece that you mentioned was religion. Mm -hmm. And so commonly, right, in our, in our history, religion has been so vital. It's been so important. And, you know, like you said, take it to the Lord. The Lord will work everything out. However, the Lord also said, uh, you know, faith without works is dead. There you go. So your work is putting in the additional work, be it therapy, be it um, any other additional um, self-reflection or digging deep that you need to do in order to work on some of the things that are um, areas of growth at that time. Absolutely. You can go to therapy and still pray. Yeah. <laughs> you, you get the right therapist. She may help. He or she may help you pray. Exactly. I think that's important to actually let them know. I've had a lot of my clients that would just ask me, you know, are you spiritual or religious so that they can feel more comfortable about, you know, talking about certain things or even asking if we could pray together. Yeah. I've even had um, clients ask me, how do you pray? Yeah. Because if it is um, a certain population or you're dealing, I've worked in, I've worked in a lot of nonprofits. Mm -hmm. So I have this child welfare background. And so when you go into all of these places, and it's, I just had this conversation earlier, when you go into all of these places, what do majority of the therapists look like? Do they look like you? Nope. They do and, not look like us. And if they don't look like you, but they're primarily servicing us, can you relate to me on a culturally competent area? Are you in that space? Do you think that that becomes a barrier when you have like nonprofit, in-home therapeutic services, things like that? 
Absolutely. Um, because how can you empathize with someone if you have no reference? Um, you could easily become the very, like that, the very problem or barrier that's keeping them from their greatest potential. And so it's not that you have to know everything, but knowing some foundational material and also being open to um, them learning I mean, learning from your clients because it's a two-way street. And I've had clients come to me um, who had um, therapists of another race or ethnicity and they felt invalidated. And I think that's the biggest thing is that when you express how you feel or talk about your experiences and then someone says, well, maybe you're looking at it the wrong way. Maybe they weren't following you around the store. Maybe they just happen to be going in the same direction. Like, okay, for a whole five minutes, they're going in the same direction as me. Great. Or clutch, clutch the purse when, you know, they may walk into the elevator. Mm -hmm. I had a woman do that to me recently, and I was like, oh, my goodness. I didn't think I looked threatening. Well, let me clutch my pearls, too. <laughs> and I was like, all right, I got mine, too, ma'am. Uh, when you said that uh, lack of resources or um, like insurances and things like that, how can people uh, tackle those those hurdles? So I, so this is gonna sound bad, but psychologists and therapists are horrible business people. Okay, it's it's the empathy. Is it's the empathy, and so very at least I can speak for myself and those that I know around me very seldom will we just turn someone completely away oftentimes we have a sliding fee scale or you'll have someone that may reduce the fees and they won't explicitly say it on their website or somewhere else because they don't want that to then become the norm mm -hmm. But for whomever that person may be, they may be able to negotiate, okay, well, what can you afford? And not only that, like, you know, thinking about it now from a business standpoint, if you can offer free therapy and help help them, then do it. You'll write off on your taxes later anyway. <laughs> so. did, that, that whole statement is true. It doesn't sound horrible, especially if um, the audience is full of different therapists. They may uh, relate because that's true because it's two different hats And so you right. have to have a certain level of empathy But then the business piece has to kick in in order for you to sustain to be available mm -hmm. for people um, one of the other pieces that I always say is it never hurts to Depending on whatever insurance you have sometimes we think we don't have access to certain um, therapists or certain resources but it never hurts to call and see how far out you can go where you go um, there's also you know open path collective oh, have you heard of them Mm -mm. okay so open path collective is a nonprofit, but it's also um, a place where someone could reach out and they can go online and uh, like sign up for a membership and they can find therapists at a sliding fee scale and open path works with individuals and they work with um, couples okay and the fee scale um, can be anywhere from like 30 to 60 for individuals and I think 60 to 80 or 85 I believe for couples but it's 
it's an awesome avenue because some people even have health insurance, but they don't have a good mental health plan. Um, so that's a piece that they're missing or they're only allotted a certain amount of visits or maybe where their insurance covers, they don't like anybody they've seen. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. what happens when you're in the community center and there's a high turnover? Hmm. Which we know that happens quite frequently. No one wants to come in and tell their story over and over and over again. Yep. You're getting nowhere. Because that yeah. is a constant re-traumatization of whatever the story was. So no one wants to go through that. So that, that definitely becomes a barrier. I'm glad that you told me about that resource. That's good to know. I'll definitely try to um, put that out there to more people because it's important that we, we learn that we're able to access these things, even if we think that we're not able to. And I think that insurance companies need to start doing a better job of having mental health plans or behavioral health plans because as you mentioned earlier it's vital to our health our health in general if you think about um, hypertension and diabetes running rampant in the african-american community well your mood can directly affect those things like i've done research in that area and so why not head it off with something simple yeah definitely agree um, so we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back to dive further into this topic. Um, please stick with us and we'll be right back with Dr. B. You are listening to Fix Your Focus, Let's Chat Therapy with Saida. Um, if you're just now joining us, um, we are talking, talking excuse me, to Dr. B. Um, she is a therapist. And she is talking to us today about the importance of mental health and mental health within the African-American community, um, whether we're talking about women, men, teens, um, but specifically today we are talking um, more so about women. So um, Dr. B, what is your specific area of focus? Um, so I would say that initially I started out with focusing on those that may have chronic illnesses and helping them to adjust, but then it seemed like there was a greater need out in the community when I started getting a lot of, um, young black women contacting me mm -hmm. and needing a space, needing a safe space to be able to share, you know, their, their experiences out in the world as well as helping them work through what's going on and how do they even fit into this world as we currently know it. What, what were some of the commonalities that you saw when they were coming to you? Um, one of the biggest things that I saw was that, um, so you know the art of code switching, right? Mm -hmm. Where we all have to code switch. Um, in some way. However, African-Americans, we tend to do it a lot more. We have our face for work. We have our face for our friends. And so they were asking, why do I have to do that? Mm. Why can't I just be myself? I feel like I'm being fake. How can I still be the real me, but also survive in my workplace? Mm -hmm. 
So that was definitely a huge one. And then that creating different avenues for depression, anxiety, because they felt lost. Everything that they thought they had known, especially if they went to an HBCU and, you know, Black African-American women and men are uplifted, it was kind of like shattering what they knew, reality as they knew it. Yeah. Um, and, and for those that maybe didn't go to an HBCU, they missed that. Mm-hmm. So maybe they needed that piece. Um, so what were some of their barriers or did they even have barriers with coming to therapy? Were they open? They were open, but I, I definitely heard stories um, probably within the first two sessions of everyone about how they'd gone to someone previously and it just didn't work out. Um, and what I like is that they didn't give up. And oftentimes it was someone of another race and they indicated it just didn't get it. And um, as I mentioned earlier, they felt invalidated and it started to make them feel like, well, maybe I am crazy. Maybe, maybe none of this is really happening. And so they started to doubt themselves. And once that self doubt creeps in, it can spread to other domains. And that's what what they were experiencing at that time. Yeah, I often hear like, you know, I can't believe I'm doing this. Uh, If people knew, if my grandmother knew, Mm -hmm. I hear that one a lot. Um, If my grandmother knew that I was here, she would ask me why. Um, Mm -hmm. uh, Things like that. So I, I just find that interesting because like you said, it will creep into other places and then it starts to spread. I call it the hamster wheel. So once mm-hmm. you get on that hamster wheel, you're running, running, running in your head. And that's when the self-doubt, uh, anxiety within life, whether it's the workforce or um, being a mom, a wife, showing up for friendships all of these things you take on all of these different um roles that you must juggle Mm -hmm. and so where's the time to just be you there you go that's that's the question uh oh i'm sorry keep going oh no i was just thinking about um you know just when when you mentioned about not wanting others to know i've had some individuals they um they were a minority but not african-american where they wanted to only pay me in cash so that there was no paper trail or like no one can know and i'm like okay but maybe we should talk about you know work through why this is such a big thing for you um and so that just made me think back on it and and i but you know what that is very real though because now I say this all the time, we will take care of everything else. We'll get our hair done, our nails done, we'll get a pedicure. We will get taken care of from the top of our head to the bottom of our feet. But we will not, not all of us, but some of us, will not address our mental health. Yeah. And I think that that goes a long way back. I mean, it even, I think it goes from model behavior, it's learned. And so as you're growing up, you see mom as a strong individual, you know, well, she's doing everything, she's juggling everything. And so you think that as an adult, you should be able to juggle everything without fumbling. I know, like I was thinking back to childhood and I never saw my mother cry. Mm, That is a good point. 
that was what I thought black woman, women did. I was like, we don't cry. And the times that I did cry as a child, I would hide it. And I would then be mad at myself because I wasn't as strong as my mother. You know, that's a good point because I don't think just kind of, you know, like piggybacking, I can probably count on one hand how many times I saw my mother cry. And so then as you grow up, you know, you may try to hold some things or you may try to reserve some things in order to to be this strong young lady. But then womanhood comes. And when womanhood comes and responsibilities come, I think it is such an amazing journey to figure out man, now I can get to know my mother as a woman. So in retrospect, she did cry. Yes. 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 In retrospect, she did cry. I just didn't know about it. Right. Because I wasn't supposed to know about it. Mm-hmm. it in retrospect, she did struggle. She did have things that a woman deals with and endures, but one of those roles that you must put on is the role of a mother. I, that journey to me is, is, is so amazing. It's so interesting because that's the generational patterns, right? Mm-hmm, absolutely. And so um, how do we examine the generational patterns when they're not the best? So I think the first thing is really recognizing that it's present. Because I honestly, I was probably like an adult adult before I realized that there were these patterns. And I was like, hold on, like I'm seeing some familiar things. And I think that it could be helpful to talk to your elders so that you will know, well, oftentimes what was done, it was done for a purpose. Mm. It was done for survival. And times have changed. Do you still have that same need or same type of survival that your grandmother did or your mother did? Um, Perhaps, you know, the way that they did things, it may not have been the best, but it served its purpose. And so creating those safe spaces so that early on, we can really start having that dialogue. Because imagine if someone that maybe is like a, teenager preteen they start having those conversations earlier or allowing their um children to see them be vulnerable you know I tried to think of like well what would that have been like for me it probably would have crumbled my whole world for a moment and then I'm like okay okay cool mom is human that's that's good to know and now I know that I can express myself okay I've I think that's a good thing to reach out if your elders are willing that's true. to discuss it. Um, and what if you're in a situation, okay? If grandma wasn't in a good marriage and then when that marriage ended, she stayed by herself. If mom wasn't in a good relationship and then when that relationship ended 
she stayed by herself. And now you're trying to navigate this thing called life and relationships. And you have no idea what a relationship looks like. You only know your fear of, I don't want to be like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. How do you navigate that when you think about like a generational pattern? How do you navigate it to understand something different? That That's a huge thing. I, I do think that the same thing applies if the individuals are willing to have that conversation to, you know, ask like, well, what happened? Why did this happen? But not only that, I think examining and really getting to know yourself as a person and individual before you try to then pair up with another whole individual. Um, And, you know, this is probably going to be unpopular um, speech, but oftentimes as African-American women, we have difficulty with the idea of, you know, kind of, I don't, I hate to say it, like submitting and it's not in a true sense of you have to be like, oh my gosh, like, let me bow down to you or whatever. But it's more of that give and take is what I take it as. And sometimes it can be so strong willed that we want to hold on to something. And it's like, well, if I had given a little bit more compromise, how might things have worked out? Because we're so used to having to be strong, used to having to stand our ground with what we believe in. But when you're with another person, you don't have to do that with someone that loves you. That's who you can be vulnerable with, but usually we still keep that guard up. So I think that it's a slow process that probably would take some therapy to get through it so that you can first know who you are. Yeah, because when you know who you are, you know, and, and, and I would say this too, kind of like as a disclaimer, be clear that sometimes we don't know who we are until we have a heartbreak. Mm-hmm. And then we figure out, like, oh, man, my boundaries weren't as strong as I thought they were. And that can range from any age, right? Mm-hmm. And then when you identify what those boundaries are to help you implement what you want and get what you want in return within your life, the characteristics from your partner or your spouse or what have you, when you're within that healthy functioning relationship mm-hmm. that gives you those things, that is when the compromise or that give and take um, becomes necessary mm-hmm. because you've been able to break through things like how to communicate, how to, you know, be in love in um, hard times, bad times, good times, all of that. Cause within vulnerability is growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think there's too many pictures out there, too, that of what marriage is supposed to be, what a partnership is supposed to be like, and that it's all like fun and roses. And that's just not the case. It takes it takes actual work. And as you mentioned, like, yeah, there are definitely um, sometimes you have to go through a heartbreak to really find out who you are, what you will take and what you're unwilling to take. And I think it's at that point that it's crucial that we really look at, okay, how, what, what went on here? Like, how could I have done something different in terms of that would be better for me? What do I need to do for me 
And sometimes because of the heartbreak itself, we don't go back and examine things to figure out how we can learn from that because all relationships are either a lesson or a blessing. Yeah, I like that. (laughs) I like that. They're either a lesson or a blessing. Um, and with the and when you tie in the generational patterns within that, or just um, what you've seen in relationships over time, um, that can help identify a lot of either what we look for, what we don't look for, what we accept, what we don't. Mm-hmm. That and can identify we can do it. it falsely. Mm. Okay. Because of what we think we know or what we think we saw. So we're, we're straying from a certain type falsely because of just what we created in our minds because we didn't have anyone to fill in those gaps. As a clinician, how do you help a client or even if it was a group or um, some, somewhere where it was a support, right? How do you help that client, that woman, break down the experiences of the women within her line or her lineage in order to understand a little bit better about who she is as a woman? So I think definitely having them to express what they saw talking about the time because I think time is very important Mm -hmm. um, in terms of what era are we in and could that have played a role and then from there sometimes playing devil's advocate and also just pointing out different points of view well you think it could have been this could have been that or that or that because all you really know is the act itself and oftentimes we tend to put emotions or assumptions with the act and we know nothing more than just the act and then also could it also be a piece of identifying what it means to be in love with self yeah because if you grew up kind of like what we talked about being seeing that strong woman okay and Mm -hmm. depending on the generation you still saw that strong woman and it was the necessity to fit into all of the roles and do all of the things. Did you see a moment where there may have been an emotional period or there may have been a uh, breakdown or Mm -hmm. in any, I mean, it's a gamut of things that could have been seen, but when you take that and you assess Mom learned how to be a woman from a woman Mm -hmm. and grandma learned how to be a woman from a woman. And it can, you know, and it goes on and on and on. And some of those experiences can be amazing, but some of those experiences can be truly traumatizing. Absolutely. And so if we're talking about the traumatizing situations, how do you heal from those to even recognize what what kind of woman would you like to be? 
So we're thinking along the lines of trauma. Um, what people often think is that, you know, if they put it away and don't think about it, it'll be fine. And that's not true. The only way that has been shown um, to be have significant impact to get over um, trauma is to talk about it over and over again until it doesn't affect you the same. Until you get to a point where maybe you're not crying about it. Until you get to a point where you can actually analyze it rather than go from your emotions. And then once you get there, then you could truly kind of get to the work at hand. And as you were talking, I thought about how oftentimes that um, loving self and self-esteem is a big thing and it just totally slipped my mind. But I would say 90% of my clients within the first or second session, I have them to tell me three to five positive things that they like about themselves. Mm. And you'll be amazed how hard it is for them to do that. Mm -hmm. I see that too. Yeah. And that's why I ask it because I can see it in the eyes. I can see it in what's been learned and what's been taught. And when you can only barely name two, okay, we got, we got some work to do. Or, or name things, but the things that you're naming are in relation to your family, your children. I've had that before. And I'm like, Oh, you're cheating. Uh, do you think that over time that we've made progress over the years? I think that we, we've made some progress, um, but there's more to be made. I think that social media has played a huge role in individuals truly growing and having more conversations about mental health as a whole. And that opens avenues and then you're able to talk to others or who are similar to you or have gone through similar situations and be able to get their perspective as well on things. Because when you're going through something alone, you feel just that alone. So I think that, that we still have some work to do, but, but we're getting there. Um, what what are some of the areas you think we still need to grow or grow in? I think that um, accessing mental health itself, like taking that step, um, recognizing that it's not a weakness, it's actually a strength to reach out because therapy is hard. I tell people all the time, they're like, man, I thought she was going to come in here and talk about my life, lay on, my, lay on your couch. And I'm like, no, no, no. And they're like, and here you go, I'm crying. I'm like, therapy is hard. You know, if it were easy, everyone would do it. Um, and so being ready for, for that roller coaster ride is also important. But I think that we could just grow with talking about it within our communities and in our families so that it stops being this taboo thing. You know, I agree that therapy is work and it, it made me laugh because my clients, they crack me up when they say, uh, you know, say I didn't come here for all of that today. Or, you know, you really gonna make me work or you went there. And it's like, well, you know, who, how would I be doing you a service mm-hmm. by us not touching on the important things for why you came in here? I would be doing you a disservice. 
Exactly. Who else in their lives will do that? Yeah, it's a, um, so I always say at the beginning of every session with a new client, I always say, um, you know, this is a judgment free zone. This is your space and your space, your space and your place to say, do and feel whatever you need. Mm -hmm. Um, And then even if they've had bad experiences, I will apologize for the other therapist and I may not even know them. Yeah. But sometimes you need that so you can feel like you can come in and lay, lay all of the things down that you need to talk about. And certain times I may not even call it therapy. I'll just say, let's have a conversation. Let's mm-hmm. chat for people who are extremely resistant to just the word. Right. But they felt like it was time to have a conversation with someone. That's very important too. That's a good point. And so really wrapping that, that gift differently, um, the gift of therapy and not just saying therapy. Um, but my, my hope is that at the end of all of this, people will be able to say that they saw, you know, their therapist, just like they say they went to the dentist yesterday. Um, and I've actually had some who've done that. They're like, no, I shouted to everybody that I'm in therapy. And I'm like, whoa, okay, just HIPAA, just remember. But, you know, <laughs> I'm like, that's great. Um, when you, one of the things that you said a little while ago was in regards to resources, um, mm-hmm. a match, all of these things, right? How much does cultural competency play into um, the therapist or the community center or the nonprofit? How much does that apply? Oh, that's huge. That's huge. When you think about just anything, like think about being on a college campus and you see different groups of people, those that are most alike are typically together because they are able to have a different conversation, a different dialogue, or say things that may be slang or maybe Mm -hmm. a code switch. So I think that that's very, very important in terms of having someone that understands, maybe not directly, but they, they hear you. They can speak the language. They can follow your story. They can empathize with you. And so cultural competency, I mean, even through my training, that has been one of the biggest things that they focus on all throughout um, grad school and internship and residency, because you're not just working. It's not a cookie cutter approach. It's not. And especially with some of the, um, so I'm in Michigan. And especially with some of the different community centers or, or um, like nonprofits, when you go into the homes, and this was this was kind of like for me personally, what drove my passion to figure out what was my specialty, what did I want to focus in on, or what did I really want my private practice to represent mm-hmm. because of what I saw. And the fact that if I'm a clinician and I'm sitting in a room full of Caucasian clinicians and we are seeing predominantly minority families, not just black families, but minority families, we go in their houses, in their space, 
Are we meeting them where they are? Are we trying to? Right. And then when we're not, do we have enough wherewithal to ask, what does this mean? Because I don't want to be disrespectful or I, I, you know, I don't want to disrespect religion, culture, anything. So explain that to me. In order for us as a clinician to make sure that we are giving them the pieces that they need to, to empower themselves mm -hmm. the best way possible. Yeah. Cause you can end up doing more harm than good. If you Yes. Don't. And that that's the danger. That's the that's a dangerous game that you know you're then playing if you're not open to learning because there's always this idea of well the professional is up here and the client is down here just because the professional may have more education in a certain area. But I always tell my clients, I may be the expert in psychology, mental health, but you're the expert in your life. Mm -hmm. So we have to work together so that we can educate one another. And that also helps level the playing field so that they don't feel like, oh, I'm talking to, you know, this doctor. It's like, no, we're both human. Let's talk. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we are going to take a quick break and we will be right back um, to have some more conversation with Dr. B. So you are listening to um, Fix Your Focus, Let's Chat, Therapy with Saida. Uh, thank you so much for staying tuned. We have been talking today to Dr. Bianca Crudup. Um, she is a psychologist in the Florida area. So just kind of the information that we've been discussing today is mental health and how mental mental health um, affects the african-american community especially the african-american woman and just some of the tidbits for increasing our knowledge around mental health um, such as generational patterns what to look for all of those different things so I thank you so much, Dr. B, for just coming on and having this rich conversation with us. Thanks for having me. Um, one of the things that I wanted to ask you is how do we continue to educate um, ourselves and others on mental health? So I definitely think that we just have to keep our eyes and ears open. Um, it's, it's all around if you just look for it. I think that doing the research is important to know what it is that you're dealing with. What is it that you want to get out of something? But most importantly, I think it has to do with making it a normal part of conversation so that others can then gain some curiosity. Because if you never hear about a topic, how can you then be curious about it? How can you then, you know, decide that you want to delve into it a little bit more? And so I think really those conversations have to be had, um, just even amongst peers. Okay. Um, if a person is stuck and they're considering reaching out, but they're not sure, you know, the thought crossed their mind, uh, they stopped, or they used to see somebody, but they said it didn't work, so they're, they're not even going to try again. Um, what would be your message to them? My message would be, um, particularly they're just kind of considering it or ruminating about it, is to stop.
stop thinking about it and just do it. It may be the best decision of your life. Um, and thinking about fit, you're not going to always get the right fit at on the first try, but you owe it to yourself to continue to try and try and try until you do find that person that fits for you. And so don't give up. Okay. Um, so how can the audience find you? So they can visit my website, which is crudeuppsychservices.com. And so that's C-R-U-D-U-P, psychservices.com. Um, they can also find me on Instagram, um, the same thing, at crudeuppsychservices.com. And they could call at 386-243 9220. Okay. Um, and then uh, any social media or anything? Instagram, the um, at crude psych services. Okay. Got you. Uh, so, once again, I thank you so much for um, coming on the show, having this rich conversation with us. Um, one of the takeaways for um, just being able to reach out and know that this is still an ongoing, growing process to be able to knock down common barriers, common misconceptions um, is really, really important. And even if you are not able to find, you know, the best person in your area, there are always other avenues such as, you know, going on things like Psychology Today or, uh, you know, if you don't know, feel free to reach out to either myself or Dr. B to figure out where we can find you a therapist that may be in your area. Um, if resources or finances are a concern, like I said, there are amazing opportunities like Open Path. Um, and that's Open Path Collective, I believe it's .com or .org, but you can Google it and it'll come right up. And you have all kinds of clinicians on there that will work with you at a sliding scale in your area. Um, but I would just say that mental health, and I think Dr. B would agree, is that mental health is a large part of taking care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. It's nothing like being able to go and you know, sit down on somebody's couch and just talk. Let it, let it out and have the conversation or the, um, get some introspection about where you're going, what you need to do, what haven't you done, or whatever the conversation may be. Doesn't need to happen forever. It's a period of time. Absolutely. I think that's good and important that you say that. People think they'll be in therapy forever, but no. We teach you the skills and then we send you on your way. Right. Uh, you know, that's probably um, the most empowering part to a therapist to be able to see a client grow, mm -hmm. to have that growth, to have that wherewithal to see somebody's transformation happen right before your eyes. Absolutely. That is a powerful and a rewarding piece for mm -hmm. this field. Yeah. So 
Thank you so much, Dr. B. We appreciate you coming on. Thank you, um, listeners, for tuning in today and have a great day. Thank you for tuning into the show with Saida.